Welcome back everyone for this new episode of All-Star Book Club. I'm with my amazing co-host, Zara. Hello. And today we're interviewing Ellen Corcoran. We're talking about Queens of Coins and Whispers, a, queen, a Kingdom Secrets and a Game of Flies. Hello, Helen. How are you Hi. today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. So let's dive uh, right in. Um, while reading, there was some pastry, la religieuse, which is typically French, and it made me wonder how did real current uh, past monarchy influence your fictional uh, countries? Well, I actually got to know that pastry because of an episode of the Great British Bake Off, and they had to make that pastry for one of the technicals and I always put it at the back of my head that I was going to use that in a book um past monarchies did absolutely influence me um a lot of history did um Queen Elizabeth I was a big influence for Leah um kind of in that she was such a big figure she never married and she was caught between her own power and the power of her court, the, the power of her own courtiers, kind of the push and pull of how much she could do without actually annoying them. Uh, the Elizabethan spy master stuff that really influenced Zania as well. Um, I did a lot of research on Francis Walsingham in regards to that. He and a few other courtiers are com commonly accepted to be Elizabeth the first, the first spy um, masters and that era is considered the kind of the birth of modern spy craft using people from a lot of different backgrounds and classes as your information gatherers um in terms of other countries i try not to directly use only one country for world building because you're getting in danger of actually appropriating another culture and country so i do tend to kind of use different like influences uh in terms of frezzy uh it's a mix of french and british especially in how uh it darren frezzy's relationship uh tends to be in terms of being a post-colonial power but also that they are their closest neighbor and their closest trading partners as well i wanted to ask you about the title of the book yeah. so we've got queen of coin and whispers yeah, yeah. Is that referring to Zania or was that some other inspiration for the title? We came up with the title, I think, in 2015. So the X of Y and Z format hadn't become the thing it was because a lot of people go, oh, you know, she just did the X and Y and Z format. Um, the original title was Deep Rose, which was the original name of the capital city. I loved it. Everyone else hated it um i i, I did an, an anonymous first page reading um between an author and agent and an editor they loved the first chapter they all said change the title i was at a conference with friends at the time so we literally went back to someone's hotel room pulled out a note and pen and started listing out nouns and verbs and anything to do so the title is actually the two of them queen refers to leah and coin and whispers refers to Zania. So I did want to have, I knew at that point that it was that format, but I did want the title to actually refer to people and titles in the book. Why did you choose to write a royalty book 
in a fictional universe when there's no magical or different stuff that could make it uh, fantasy? So in the original outline, there was actually magic. Adara didn't have magic and Frezzy and some of the other countries did. And then as I went on with the outline, I realized magic was creating more problems than it was actually fixing things for me. Because the biggest thing is if you've one country who has magic and one who isn't, why is that country not in charge? Why is that country not having an empire? What is stopping that other country with magic from just invading and conquering? So I decided that I was going to intertwine magic and faith and that when one belief in one wanes, then the other also dwindles. So there's a few references in the book that magic used to be a thing, that religion used to be a thing. And then it just dwindled. It was about six, 700 years ago that it fully dwindled. So it's kind of seen the way we would see myths and founding legends. Um, it was a split 10 minute decision. I literally have it written down in my original notebook. If I get to do a second book, magic will come back. It has caused the most biggest reaction. I wasn't um, expecting it. Like people have gotten really angry at me and they've been like, it's not, it's not like a fantasy book. It's like historical. And I'm like, but these countries aren't real. I made them up. Um, so if I do get to have a second book, which I will be hearing soon, then magic does come back and it causes an awful lot of upset. I'm basically doing for the second book everything I swore I wouldn't do in the first. Um, it was just because also putting in magic kept changing the politics. It kept making the intrigue more complicated the intrigue was already complicated enough and it was just easier for my own sanity because the book was really really long so I just cut it out. So the book has a lot of political intrigue how long did it take you to plan that and was that a challenging thing? I think I've actually wiped most of it out of my head because it was really hard um I didn't plan it in the first draft which was a mistake um I just finished querying another book so I very foolishly thought I've written one book I can do this it'll be fine the previous book had no political intrigue at all and the death that happens in the middle of the book I never planned that I wrote the chapter it finished with the death and then I sat there going how do I fix this because that was who I thought the antagonist had been and it turned out that it was someone else um so the first draft took about a year and a bit I started in late 2013, finished it in January 2015. It was 135,000 words long. Matthias originally had a point of view as well. And it was the first thing I cut because it was too crowded. Um, so I had to work a lot of what was in his point of view back into the book. Chapter two was a little bit better, but still not great. It was chapter three that I trashed everything else and started from scratch again. I had a lot, I had a very long bullet point list with a lot of bullet points within the bullet points. At one point, I had a chart up with um, different colored lines and arrows pointing to people to figure out who was actually double crossing who when and who knew what when. Uh, so it took about, I think the version I sent to O'Brien was chapter five. That was about late 2017. I sent the first couple of chapters in my query letter and then O'Brien asked for the full in February 2018. So at that point, we were up to five years. 
I'm very happy to say that every book I've written since then has not taken five years. I think that was my big learning curve book. If I could go back, I'd probably do things differently now, but I'm still proud that I got there. I've written a second book in the world and it is very little political intrigue. It's much more simpler political intrigue because I can't do that again. So what would you have done differently? Outlined in the very first draft, even if that outline had actually, I was doing outlines, but there were generally two or three chapters ahead. Uh, I knew how the book was going to end. The ending changed completely. The ending was a very bittersweet ending. Um, They were together, but Leah had actually abdicated the throne and not taken it. Uh, she and Zanya were living in another country and someone else was raising the heir. And I never actually felt she was suited to actually ruling a country, um, but everyone hated that ending. They just felt that I punished them and that I wasn't fulfill- fulfilling the promise that I had floated to the readers at the beginning of the book. So I changed the ending because when everyone who's read the book hates her ending, it's it's not them, it's you. <laughs> I would like to speak a bit about uh, Therese. Was she always planned to be a kind of a plot twist or did it impose itself later on in your writing? Um, I started queering Queen in 2015 and within three weeks I got an R&R, a revise and resubmit. The agent really liked the book. We met at a conference and I p- pitched her, but she had issues with the first half that there was actually not enough spying stuff. So I went, okay. So she asked if you, if I could make these changes and give her the book and she read it again and give, and decide if she wanted to take me on. So I agreed with her, um, said, okay, went back, brainstormed a bit. So Therese wasn't actually in the book until then. So I think we were on draft four, I think. Um, her mother had been in an earlier draft, but she hadn't been her mother. Uh, and then I had cut her out because I had these scenes where Leah meets parliament mem- members and the food that they served her matched their personalities. And I really liked those scenes, but they did absolutely nothing for the book. So I cut out all those characters. And I was playing a video game called Shadow of Mordor at the time and I was kind of stuck and I realized that Sanya didn't really have smaller bosses to work through before she works her way up to the big bad bad. So I decided that I would plan some treasury specific subplots and some of them would be in the first half of the book and that there would be hints for others in the second. So Therese was one of those plot light points that I knew from the beginning that she would end up being uh, important. Um, Coins Cash as well, which is a big kind of foreshadowing for her, uh, was not actually in the draft until the very end, like the arcs had actually gone out, and, but our family cat died. So I decided I was going to give Coin a cat. And then I decided that because Therese most frequently shows up in the treasury, that Coins Cat was really not going to like her professional one. <laughs> so people in EDAR belong to different steps, but we don't get a lot of background about the steps. So can you tell us about who belongs to what step? Is that how, where they're born? Are there people who don't belong to any steps at all and what happens to them? Are they not on the social ladder whatsoever? So the main class is that the steps are one to seven, the whole idea that the further up you go, the closer you are to the monarch and power. Then there is uh, the 
the merchandise class, which can be kind of taken as lower or upper. And then you have the working like classes and going down to where you just have your general commoners, I suppose. Broadly, one, two, three are up are different classes of barons. Um, four to five are kind of your next couple of ranks, your viscounts, your counts, and then sixth and seventh are primarily um dukes and duchesses. It was an easier way because I was banking on most 16 and 17 year olds not really knowing like your peerage and nobility classes. Um you'd see it a lot in Regency, but even then that tends to be very, very specific. I liked the idea of one being the lower and seven being the higher. It is mostly based on your wealth and your how old your actual bloodline is, your family. So even if you were in two fifth step families, it would depend on how the other one ranked based on who married into who, who took whose name. I also wanted it to be kind of more based on influence and wealth because there's obviously same-sex marriage in the world. So I didn't want it to be assumed that a woman would, would be marrying a man and she would be taking his name. Like, it's it's not that. You, you're mostly born. You Marriage is primarily the way you move up and down. Danya's mother remarried strategically her mother wasn't born her in the nobility she was a private banker Zanya's father worked for the treasury and they crossed paths so she was actually a second generation immigrant family so is it only the sixth or se- and seven that can marry into royalty yes Zanya would have kind of been on the periphery uh, if they hadn't met, but she, I think if they hadn't met, she and Leo would probably have crossed paths purely on the treasury, but it probably wouldn't have been for about another 10 or 15 years. Do you need a specific setting to write? Um, I type it all. Um, I only handwrite when I'm stuck. Um, I do a lot of my think thinking in like a notebook, like each book has its own notebook and I'll write things down. So I remember, but a lot of it is actually in my head. I will spend about six months to a year just thinking about a book. And then by the time I come to start writing it, it's it's pretty solid in my head. I used to do most of my writing in coffee shops before 2020. And now it's just in a desk in my room, this desk. I've been able to write in a coffee shop once this year when our cases were low enough that I felt comfortable. And I wrote like a thousand words in one go. It was amazing. I wrote all of actually in my actually in my acknowledgments in Queen. I I I I put in the two coffee shops. I wrote most of it in because it was a run, it was a running joke, and I always swore I'd put like them in. Then in twenty twenty, you couldn't go out, um, so it was a real learning curve because I was working from home, so I was doing my job, and then I was having to take a walk so I could switch my head off from my job and then go make dinner and then go write at the same place again. So it was a big, it was a big adjustment. Um, writing was very, very hard in 2020. I've managed to come back and I got a lot done this year, but um, I, I did have, I did a lot of catching up this, this year. Um, mostly it would just be c- coffee, really. Do you use um, beta readers or friends or family to help you when you're writing the book? I did have several readers for Queen. Um now I have mainly two people who are my kind of ideas board. So if I have an idea, I will float it at them because they're the right kind of people and that they won't scupper an idea. So my process has actually changed a lot, a lot now. And I will write a couple of chapters. I'll go back and I will 
edit them so I won't write the whole draft and then edit it again I'll actually fix like problems as I go so for every book now I'll write about a two-page synopsis which just kind of gives me an idea of where to where to go I send things to my agents in chunks so I'll usually give him the 20 the first 20 to 40,000 words depending on the length of the book to see what he thinks and then if he likes it I'll keep going to the end one of the things I had to learn quite hard with Queen was that you have to learn what kind of book you want to write and there's a difference between someone reading your book and giving you feedback on the book you have written and the book they would write with your idea and I think in some ways I look at Queen I can see I was trying to make several people happy and I kind of forgot what kind of book I wanted to write so I don't share things as much now and my agent usually picks up if I've gone wrong or if my pacing is off I have an idea of my strengths and weaknesses now which I didn't while I was drafting Queen because again it was my big learning curve book so so now your process has uh, changed a lot If you could give your past self an advice, what would it be? Outline the first draft. But um, no, I would probably say that just because someone gives you feedback, it doesn't automatically mean they're right. And it doesn't automatically mean that you don't know what your book is about and that you don't have to take someone's feedback if it doesn't work with your version of the book. And I think especially when you're starting out, you're told that, you know, you have to get feedback as if writers have no idea what they're doing. When when I go wrong on something, my gut is very quick to tell me. And even when I've ignored that, that gut feeling, I have had to go back and I've had to fix that. So I think there's a fine line. And I think it's one of those things you only pick up with in time where you can take someone's feedback and be able to go, does this work with the actual story I'm telling? So if I could go back and tell 2013 Helen it would be to outline and also to have faith. I recently discovered that you have a little prequel book a prequel comp- and that was really lovely to read because you sort of see how Zania and Leah almost met each other right it's really nice so then I wanted to ask as well in the actual book there's a part where Matthias and Zania go to rescue Leah and there's a whole lot of other stuff happening at court that we don't see it's off book Have you ever thought of actually releasing a little follow-on thing or a little like standalone thing about what actually happened in this couple of months? A lot of people were, in that part of the book, um, we lose a lot of Leah's point of view. And originally it was like in there, like I, I kept the one to two um, chapters pattern going. And we were split evenly down the middle. Some people wanted me to take it out because they felt they didn't want to know what was happening with Leah. Others wanted it, wanted it to be kept in. And it was literally split evenly. And I chose to take it out because I felt if the reader saw that her point of view was missing, then there was a really big, important reason for, for it. That point of view is really awful because you're essentially witnessing Leah Lee is like emotional torture happening in in real time like her her point of view that's really sharp staccato broken and it was really hard to write so I took it out because actually I felt Zanya's fear over what was happening was actually more um, effective in terms of what was happening in Adar you don't see because everything happens through Leah and Zanya's point of like view and I felt that was the one thing that we couldn't break 
Sometimes I think about it, but it might be something I do outside, just in those in that kind of like free book vein. Maybe people have really wanted to know what happens in the time. If I get to publish the second book, you get to hear things that happen, and you get to hear things that changed. Essentially, I was working up against a word count. The book sold at a hundred thousand words. It had to be cut a bit. Um, so the actual finished product is ninety-one thousand words. So following on from that, can I just ask? How did Zanya become a spy master when she's like 17? Her father essentially would have been teaching her a lot of logic and a lot of how to watch people and how to figure out what they're saying, what they're not saying. Uh also she wouldn't have had a typical contemporary education. She would have been like private privately tutored from like a very young age. She's a lesser noble, but she, her mother obviously would have actually expected her to have a very good education she so she would have had an education almost to rival Leah's so again it's it's not a contemporary setting so her her like she would have spent a lot of her time being too tutored the stuff with her father would have been done kind of through games and through puzzles he would have been teaching those her those, those things primarily because she actually was suited to it but he didn't want her to go into that life but he also felt it was a waste of talent and her own brains not to be taught Again I had a lot more spy stuff where we had to cut it out but um in terms of the actual contacts and stuff Leah would have actually had a lot of that herself because despite the fact she doesn't know who her uncle spy master is she would have been preparing for this a lot so she would have been pulling in contacts through her own um through her own means and basically Sanya had a very heavy learning curve um you see it referred to obliquely but like the first two months Zanny was freaking out a lot who and you can only pick one oh, no. who is your favorite character in this book so i came up with leah first but i like zanya's personal stakes a lot more um leah follows a queenly archetype you know she's very cool she's very distant there's Whereas Zanya is motivated motivated by revenge in her family, and they both have a sense of humor in different ways. But some parts of Zanya's chapters and in her own head were really fun, like to write, um, because she just what she thinks isn't always what she says. That's I think Leah will always be special to me, just because she walked into my head first, and then five minutes later, Zanya did. But Zanya was the easier character to write. I took a while to get a grip into Leah's head. She was very cool and she was very distant and I kept going, "Well, what do you want other than other than a throne? What do you actually want?" So I'm just going to add to that question because yeah. I really like Leah's mom because she does a lot in the background to help Leah. So do you have a favorite secondary character? I actually really like Zanya's sister because she's the closest to an actual teenager in the book and her concerns are very teenage girl like and it's just a relief to have someone whose biggest problem is not the potential crumbling of an entire country into civil war again Aubrey I really liked um this is kind of word of god because we had to cut the subplot out but um Aubrey is Aubrey is a base and he and Leah come out to each other essentially um it was a subplot that we cut out because my editor felt that everyone else kept their cards very very close to their chest. Isra was the really good one as well. Um I think out of the adults Diana and Coiner might actually no I'm going to change my answer. 
Sanya's stepfather. Sanya's stepfather had a fan club while the book was being queried. Everyone loved him. I just really like Lord Martin because he's a high-ranking noble who manages to stay out of all of the politics, out of all of the gossiping. And he's just a fundamentally decent man. He's probably like the one decent man in that entire book other than Coyne. If you could go uh, have dinner with any character, with whom would you want to spend like a couple of hours just eating and discussing? I would say Aubrey because he would be the least likely to ridicule me because um, they're all very, very smart confident people i don't think they'd have much time for me um there's also isra's brother um hassan who is just a very very minor second year character who is completely unsuited to the cruel world match you think he, he would be a lot of fun he shows up twice in the book but he's just a really nice nice guy he is completely unsuited to marrying like a queen so i think he and like aubrey would probably be the safest people Because I think Zanya would just think I was stupid and I would be too intimidated by, intimidate, intimidated by Leah, I think. I don't know. Are you supposed to actually admit that you're intimidated by characters you made up? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you said in this world, the same-sex marriage is fine. Yeah. But Leah and Zanya always seem to be either fighting the attraction or trying to hide it. So is the only reason for that is because Leah is expected to have an heir? And therefore, they don't want her to everyone to know her attraction to Zanya. Or is there something else to it? No, it was always the core question I gave myself when I thought of the book was, can you have an openly lesbian queen and still deal with the main pillars of monarchy, which is a political mar- marriage and a legitimate heir? That so, like basically, if you can keep those two things, that is kind of how most royal dynasties keep going. Some people view this as a form of homophobia. I personally don't because I think it's the situation that she's in. Both views are fine. I'm not going to say they're wrong. Otherwise, I think there's a line. It's just, I, I never know what I've what, like cut, but there is a line where Leah says if her uncle and aunt had had, a, had an heir of their own and she'd been bumped down the line, no one would have cared who she actually married. Um, She... Likely, if she'd met Zania and things still worked out, it would have been fine. Uh, other instances, like Diana has uh, a wife, Coyne has a husband, and those are two of the most powerful people in the actual country, and no one bats like an eyelid. So it was mostly going, can Leah keep the crown, and can she still keep a dynasty open? It is a slight critique of kind of heteronormative monarchy, um, as much as you can do within the point of view of an actual queen who has grown up believing that you know she is entitled to have this job and that her own child is entitled to still have this job do you have favorite author or creator that you drew like inspiration or do you want to be as good as them in your own way um the two biggest inspirations from when i was a kid that i realized influenced this book was um tamor Tamora Pierce and Garth Nix. Uh, I read Tamora Pierce when I was 11 and she's the reason I got really into like fantasy. She's the reason I wanted to write female-focused fantasy. Uh, Garth Nix, I read a little bit later on. It was actually, I reread Sabriel on audio and realized how much his work actually influenced me without even realizing it. 
Um, in terms of, I would love to be able to write something to the size of Priory of the Orange Tree eventually. If someone would actually let me go off and write an 800-page book, because just if you write a standalone YA fantasy, there's only so much world building you can actually put in. There's only so far you can go. Um, whereas the word length of adults, you still have like limits because obviously prior of the Orange Tree is in Samantha's first book. Um, but I would really love to write a big adult epic fantasy eventually, even more than one book. book. Um, I'm working my way. I'm wor- working my way up to. So I wanted to ask, you said you were a bookseller for 12 years. How did you then get into writing? I decided I was going to be a writer when I was aged eight. I read an Enid Blyton book and something clicked in my head that someone had sat down and written this. And I decided that was what I was going to do. I wrote my first book when I was 11. Uh, It was about Irish werewolves. It was incredibly bad I, I, I cannot emphasize enough it was it was poorly veiled fan fiction of a book called October Moon by Michael Scott which has come back into print and then I tried to write a book that was not thinly veiled fanfic and got about 40,000 words in and then my family got the internet and I discovered and I discovered that people wrote fanfic and put it online so I did that for about 11 years I think I was about 13 21 or 22 and then I kind of migrated back to my own stories again but fanfic was a really good training ground because you have to have a beginning middle and end and people have no qualms about telling you when something isn't actually working when I finished college I wrote a book which was about lesbian werewolves I I really like dragons and I really like werewolves that was slightly less crap and I queried a few agents. I got close, but this was at the waning point of like YA paranormal. So like the market was completely against it. I, th- I think I'll probably go back to it eventually and do a full scale gutting and really like writing because I do like the core idea. And then I wrote uh, a weird steampunk Alice in Wonderland with family dysfunction kind of book. Then I didn't write anything for a while. And then I was standing at work shelving books and just was thinking about fantasy and thinking about what kind of fantasy I still hadn't read and I really wanted to, to read. And then Leon's Zanya just walked in. So um, book selling was good because I was a bookseller from like 2006 to 2018. So I was there for Twilight. I was there for Dystopia. I was there for the contemporary boom. So you get to actually see what sells and why, even if you don't always agree with the books that are really popular. You get to talk to actual teenagers and see what they like and what is working for them and what they wish to see. It's also a really physically demanding job. And you have to work retail in December. And after 12 years, my body was starting to really struggle. And also there's only so many Decembers you go before you're really close to possibly telling someone something rude and getting fired. <laughs> and also I'd reached a point where I, I I wanted to work on my own stuff. I wanted to sell my own books and not other like people's. I still do miss it though, because... I'm not as generally aware of what's coming out as much. Like I tend to be very focused on the books that I'm looking forward to. Whereas as a bookseller, you kind of have to be generally aware of like everything. What's next in terms of writing? So I will know fairly soon whether I'm going to have another YA out. Can't tell you anything else because that's all I know. I'm on submission with an adult book um, as well. But 2021 has been a year for everyone. 
Um, I'm revising another adult book to send to my agent in early next year. I had to think what year is next year. I'm hopefully going to go on submission with that. So I'm currently in that weird limbo in between phase where I've written a lot, but not sold anything yet. Hopefully I, well, even if we sell the next YA, I won't be able to tell anyone for several months until it becomes public. Hopefully there'll be another book out in 2023. Yeah, if it turns out to be a no, I might come back to you and we'll cut like this, like bit, like out because otherwise the book won't like exist. But it is set in the Queen universe. Um, It's set about a decade or, and a bit after Sully and Zanya are the grown-ups now. And the main character is a character who was introduced in the epilogue. She's the new character mentioned at the very end of the epilogue. There was more about her because I was hedging my bets in case I ever got to write a second book. Elsa made me take it out because she wanted the epilogue to focus primarily on Leah and Zanya because it is the end of their story for now. Started writing it last year and had to trash everything I'd actually written because it was all terrible and you could see I was writing it under a very stressful lockdown. So I started again in February and it we got there. Um, it was really interesting coming back to Lee and Zanya's adults because they're a little bit wiser, but you can still see the core of who they are. The dynamic is interesting because they're still married. They're now monarchs. You know, they they've they've got you know they've been married for quite some time at this point, so they're still them, but they've also changed and they they've still managed to keep things together. So they've been through they've been through a lot. What advice would you give to someone who's new to writing? Try really hard. To finish the first book um it's always easier to write another one if you manage to finish the first one whereas if you keep almost only writing chunks it's going to be really hard to get past that point you don't have to start with the book a lot of people write short um stories i mostly fail at short stories because they always read like they're at the beginning of a book but a short story is a really good way if you don't have your own ideas right you know fanfic you don't even have to put it online it can just be for you but i would say finishing is the first thing and also not to judge your own progress by a published book because that book has been through several rounds of like edits it's been copied it's the first draft of Queen looked nothing like this. I'm pretty sure it's still around somewhere, but I, I think no one has actually seen it other than myself. It's possibly still saved on like a USB stick somewhere. Mostly finish and just keep trying. So this or that, everyone, and let's dive in. This or that, vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. Night or days? Night. Blanket or socks? Blanket. Paper or computer? Computer. Movie or theater? Pre-COVID theater. <laughs> Restaurant, bar? Restaurant. Family, friends or lovers? Friends. Uh, summer or winter? Winter. Mountain or ocean? Ocean. City or country? City. Well, that's it. Wait, I have I have one more. <laughs> Leah or Zanya? No! <laughs> I spent too long with them. They're like my children at this point. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today, Thank Helen. You it's lovely to chat to you. Having thank me. you for your time. Lovely. Do you have any final thoughts for your readers? Mostly just thank you for supporting the book. Thank you for buying it. It was a really tough debut year to come out in. And for a while there, I kind of thought my YA career had ended before it had even begun. And people really supported the book. They really showed that there was a demand for this kind of way and it helps everyone else who wants to write these kind of books and it shows that there's a market even if people claim that there isn't 
So thank you for supporting the book and I'm going to try really hard to give you more.